Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller Karras. I am your host, Elaine Miller Karras, and this is Resiliency Within. Today's show will address post pandemic healing, learning, and well being. In the last few weeks, as more and more people have been vaccinated in the United States, we are venturing out, meeting family and friends, and realizing at the same time that life will never be the same. My guests today, Heidi Williams Cooper and Lindy Sedevendemi, began working together just prior to the pandemic with Emory University's Social, Emotional, and and Ethical Learning Program, also called C-Learning Program. C-Learning is an innovative K-12 education program, providing educators with the tools they need to foster the development of emotional, social, and ethical intelligence for students and for themselves. So Ms. Williams Cooper and Ms. Seven Vendemi work started as a collaboration, and they are true collaborators, to create a culturally responsive adaptation of the C-Learning curriculum to meet the needs of the Kandizi schools, community students, and teachers alike. They have rich teaching backgrounds and a shared wisdom in ideas to guide us during this post-pandemic era from a vista of looking forward as they look back. They will explore how to use C-Learning to cultivate well-being, promote healing, and support liberation as many of us move into post-pandemic mindsets. In saying this, I also want to acknowledge that for many people in our world community, the pandemic has not moved into a post-pandemic stage. And we just want to acknowledge that and know that there are many people around the world that are suffering right now. So with that, I want to continue and introduce and say a little bit more about our guests. So Lindy Sedevendemi is a dedicated educator equity-focused coach and gifted international facilitator of social, emotional, and ethical sea learning. In fact, she and I got to co-host some wonderful children in India, and we were like, I guess we were were um, (laughs) co-Oprahs, and we got to interview some wonderful children um, about their experiences with sea learning. It certainly was one of the highlights of my life. And Lindy has been the project coordinator of C-Learning at the Center for Contemplative Science and Compassion-Based Ethics at Emory University since 2016. In addition to having co-written the K-8 curriculum, she plans and leads workshops around the world, serves as a liaison with U.S. school partners, supports new trainers, and leads the development of forthcoming um, high school curriculum. There's much more to say about Lindy, but you can go to our Voice America website and see a longer um, a rendition edition of your um, of your bio, and Heidi Williams Cooper serves as a senior director of culture and community wellness at the Kandizi Schools, where she supports educators and leaders' professional development, manages and cultivates partnerships, and prioritizes positive organizational health and wellness. 
Heidi also is a social, emotional, and educational equity consultant, C-learning facilitator, yoga and meditation instructor. Oh, my goodness. They are so lucky to have you. And grounding expert for listening for justice. And I really would like you at some point to tell us a little bit more about what that means to be a grounding expert for listening for justice. And as an elementary educator and former assistant principal, Heidi has mentored and coached educators with a holistic lens that understands the importance of truly seeing each student, recognizing and cultivating the individual gifts that each of them brings, elevating their voices and preparing them to lead choice-filled lives. And just from my conversations with her, she has so much um, spark inside of her that I know she's going to share with us today. So as we start um, what is on your mind? And I'm going to start with Lindy. So, Lindy, what is on your mind as we're starting today? Thank you so much, Elaine. What's on my mind is I'm a little bit nervous being here interviewed live on Voice of America and so honored to have been invited um, to your show and with Heidi Williams-Cooper, um, one of my favorite collaborators. Um, what's on my mind is um, I feel really hopeful um, about where we are um, where we are in, in, in our experience of the pandemic in the U.S., and I also acknowledge and honor what you said about many people in the world not being um, post-pandemic yet. Um, I feel hopeful for the work that Heidi and I are doing together and that we will continue to do together with C-Learning and, 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 and other things for students in the, and teachers in the Atlanta area. And right now we need hope. And I think that C learning is that is that um, I, I think it's like there's seedlings that are planted all over the around, around the world that are and wonderful trees are growing as a result of C learning. So Heidi, what how about you? What's on your mind right now? So first of all, thank you, Lindy, for the invitation and Elaine um, for inviting me to be a guest. And like Lindy, I also am a bit nervous, mm-hmm. so I'm using all my strategies right now. <laughs> But I know you both have lots of skills to help yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> my mind is preparing teachers, um, leaders for returning, for returning to the building in full capacity. And have we thought through structures that foster well-being? Have we provided resources that cultivate the same thing. And so as right now is a time of planning and preparation for the return of our students, staff and families, and just trying to be prepared and to prioritize their well-being in them. I mean, and the teachers are such key factors in helping children who are going to have their own suffering and, and imagine joy too coming back. And so how we can help um, teachers, and I know that was one of the focuses that you two really wanted to talk about today. And we're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. But before we do that, I wanted to um, ask each one of you, how has your lived experience inspired you to create the work you're passionate about in the world? Because I certainly just recently met you, Heidi, but I've seen Lindy's passion in living color. So I'm going to start with you, Heidi. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what was the spark that, that brought you to the work that you're doing today? Sure. So I began this journey first as a parent. I'm the mother of two African-American sons who lived their life in brown skin. And my four-year-old was in pre-K and we began to notice some sensorial differences. We also noticed that he didn't like people in his personal space. Um, And he had a teacher at the time 
who just loved on him and was able to still help him to thrive. But as he transitioned into kindergarten, that was not the case. And before we knew it, he was diagnosed with emotional behavioral disorder. And as a mom, I knew that once I researched, that didn't quite fit what I was seeing happen um, with my son, Jonathan. And so I began my journey of doing my own research on my own and learning about what was help because he couldn't self-regulate and manage. So that's what started me on my SEL journey. Also, some of the ability to read um, social cues and all of that. And I began teaching his teachers. And that was the beginning of my journey, going in for parent-teacher conferences with principals and teachers in the schools that he attended and training them to help them to be able to better support my child. So you really became a strong advocate. And there are so many children um, who have um, challenges with how they interpret sensations and can be overloaded very easily, but they're not always um, also diagnosed with disorders. And yeah. I, you, you were a strong advocate for helping the teachers. I imagine administrators as well understand this. Yes. And later we found that he actually had Asperger's. Um, we, we transitioned to, we went through a series of things, even having to pull him out of public schools and homeschooling him for a while. And then when we finally found a school that we thought was suitable, where he and his brother could both thrive, we quickly discovered that he had Asperger's and they immediately like put in supports and partnered with me to help him and other students in brown skin where Asperger's and autism is not even considered. And so that is also sometimes what I hate to say is this, the, the structural racism that can exist. Um, and so I can see that you've been a champion of that. And, you know, maybe this would be a time for you to tell us about um, your, your experience with the, uh, being an expert grounder with the organization that you're involved with. You want to say a little bit about that before I ask Lindy that same question? Sure. So I was invited by Dr. Falomi Prescott, because this is her brainchild, Listening for Justice, which is a series of sessions where people, we have people across the world, actually, come together across difference and get into small groups and have conversations about racial injustice and systemic oppression and liberation. And we know that these conversations can evoke strong emotions and sensations in the body, but we wanna be able to give the participants tools that they can utilize to be able to first notice what's happening within them and then to be able to reset their nervous system reset and be able to stay in the game or stay in the conversation and have the dialogue that's so important for us all to have right now. Yes. Well, so thank you for sharing that. And can people learn more about that just by putting in the name and it will pop up on the, on the web, I imagine. Yes. It's also known as L4J and it's the number four, not the word for listening for justice with uh, L4J. I'm going to repeat that. So thank you for sharing that with us. So um, I'm now going to turn over to Lindy and ask you the same question. How has your lived experience inspired you to create the work that you're so passionate about? Um, I've wanted to be a teacher since I was about eight or nine or 10 years old. I somehow convinced um, my neighborhood friends to come sit in my basement for school during the summer um, not sure how that how that ended up being okay, but they were all on board for it. So I would, you know, I wanted to be a teacher as long as I can remember. 
Um, it took me a little while to get to education school. And um, when I finally did and became a teacher, um, the story of how I'm doing what I'm doing now is really the peeling of an onion for me. I um, now, you know, work for social, emotional, and ethical learning. And looking back on my education career, um, um, my first education, my first teaching job was in a high school where I was forced to take um, the yearbook class as a condition of my employment. And knowing what I know now about social, emotional learning and the building of community and how important relationships are and working on um, a project-based learning, actually, I didn't realize that's what I was doing at the time, but all of those things... <gasps> Um, really, really were happening when I was teaching this yearbook class and creating important relationships with the kids, some of which I still have to this day. I've become friends with these adults now. Um, so I've had the experience of really seeing social and emotional learning in a, later on in the middle school that I worked in really being um, at the forefront of instruction for the school, even though it wasn't called that. Um, realizing how really that important that was for both academic development and and creating a community of care for kids to to have more well-being than they than they otherwise could have in schools. Well, I'm just wondering. I, I didn't prepare this question. I didn't ask you before, but I have to ask. It just came to me. Did you ever think that what you would do in terms of preparing a curriculum for K through 12? would be international like the C learning program has become? Did you ever envision that for you when you had those friends in your basement and being the teacher? No, ma'am, never in a million years would I have imagined that. And that's been a, a joy and a challenge of this work is helping to develop with a team internationally usable curriculum um, that is intended for adaptation in the context in which it's being used. And that's where Heidi's and my work really um, comes together, I think. And so I imagine that's also um, taking into, into consideration culture and different um, ideas that people have uh, around the world about how best to cultivate the growing of our precious children. So I know that you've spent a lot of time in and attention. And I just want to do a shout out to you, Lindy, because I have such great respect for the work that you've done in the world, having seen you firsthand be a great organizer, whether you're in Atlanta or India. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate it. Look at it. Heidi's, (laughs) those of you that are on Facebook, uh, within live could see her, her doing that nod. But I mean, now I'm going to ask you a question because I clearly the two of you really care about each other. How did the two of you come to work together with, with the social, emotional and, and ethical learning program, C-learning? How did you come to work together? So do you want to go ahead, Heidi, and start and tell us a little bit about how this came to be? Well, I actually was going to invite Lindy to talk about how she first connected with Kendezi. Okay. Yeah, I think that's right. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I think that's right. right Yeah. So when we were still developing the K-8 curriculum, one thing that I thought would be, I was a classroom teacher for 10 years before I came to doing this curriculum writing, which to me, as with that background of experience, to, to try to write curriculum without working with kids directly in front of me didn't make any sense. Um, I don't under, I'm not, I guess I can't turn back time. I don't know what it would be like to write curriculum without being with kids. Cause that's what I did for 10 years. And so we were looking, my team were, we were thinking that it would be really cool if I could go and try out what we were writing together as we were writing it. Is it working? How are the kids responding to it? Is it, does it fall really flat? How's the story? You know, things like that. And so we were connected, um, 
through an organization here in Atlanta called Create connected us to um, Rosalind Duff, who was teaching at the time at Kindes the Kindesi schools. And Roz was running the after school program and she had me come in once a week and she and I co-facilitated these sessions with um, middle schoolers, sixth through eighth graders. Um, I actually did it for seven semesters. Even after oh. we pub published, I went back to do it with them. So um, that's how I ended up at Kindesi. And I think how C ended up at Kindesi. And then Heidi can take it from there. Yes. So although that work was happening in the background, I was actively vetting a variety of different curricula for social emotional learning. And I think maybe eight to 10, I was actually teaching some of them myself um, with the small groups of kids, meeting with all different people and there were just missing components. And it was very difficult for me to see, to visualize those different curricula with the kids who we serve. Um, and we have teachers who we definitely provide space for them to give feedback and we were receiving feedback the current one we were using was not working. And so C-Learning came up on that journey. And because it was free, that was one of the things that was appealing. And that's very unusual, I want to add. I yes. mean, that's been the amazing part of this project through Emory. Yes. Yep. Because it was free and I could access it on the web, I could preview it easily. And so I was like, okay, and there was a difference in it, in fact, that it included systems thinking. Most of the other curriculum were simply about the self and social domains, but they lacked the systems thinking domains about the interconnectedness and common humanity pieces. And so that, that stuck out to me. So next was reaching out to Lindy and we talked about, hey, this looks like it's going to work for us, but we also know that it's not perfect. So we integrated both the work of Zaretta Hammond's um, CRT, Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain, with the C-Learning curriculum and we started a pilot with a small group of teachers who were going to try it out in their classrooms. Wow, that is that's that's a story. So you really brought your your combined knowledge into create something to to really meet the needs of the children. And I think that's the other thing that sometimes happens is that schools will adopt something that's not working, but no one's ever let's just say I must just say no one, but sometimes there's not the evaluation process going on and people continue things that aren't having the impact that they want to have for the kids and for the adults that are in the community too, which really gets my next question. What gains have you noticed in terms of the C uh, program um, and the growth amongst kids and adults um, as a result of the pandemic? So what have you seen? What gains you've noticed in terms of social, emotional, and ethical growth? Um. Well, I was just, I was thinking about um, the adaptability of C-learning and, and, and as Heidi said, you know, it's not perfect. It doesn't have everything, but it does have adaptability and flexibility, which are two things that I think we've definitely seen in educators largely over the last year plus months of the pandemic. Um, I've seen that in the trainings that I've done that we've switched to virtual and we're having to, you know, be flexible and adapt to the virtual environment. I've also noticed that in the 
children, um, really since the pandemic's been happening. Unfortunately, I miss that quite a bit. Um, So with adults, I've noticed it seems like generally people are a little bit more um, caring with each other. And I think understanding of what's happening, um, that we possibly don't know what's happening with each other, even though we're seeing each other on the screen. Um, And that's kind of what I would would say for that. What about you, Heidi? One of the things that I was thinking about is we took a risk because our pilot was disrupted by COVID. Mm -hmm. So we took a risk this school year by rolling it out and implementing it network wide. That's right. Because our last, our last training was in February, 2020. And we were all ready to do another one in like four weeks. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. So we actually implemented this network wide for the first time during the pandemic. Um, And I have to say that I'm so thankful that we did. And what we noticed was teachers actually embracing the tools and the strategies. And I just think that being virtual maybe even may have created more space and time for them to internalize the practices themselves versus being in person with students. Um, We also were able to see them utilize these tools themselves, as well as with our students when having these authentic and heavy conversations about things that were happening in the world around them during this time. So that is one way that C-learning was used while we named specific skills just as we were teaching them how and guiding them and how to facilitate these questions that may arise um, from our students or our families. And also strength and focus and attention. I will, I will say that, like navigating learning at home with sisters and brothers over here, somebody's cooking a meal and parents may be working and still having to stay focused and still learn. And the one additional thing that I also would say is increased willingness to take risk. We saw so much innovation and creativity during this time that I have to say, I do think it is because of that increased self-awareness and confidence um, that enabled them to be able to take to take those risks and being in a relationship with amazing teachers that cared about them and loved them. Well, this is so hopeful because we've heard so many stories about the challenges of going online and you guys are being so hopeful about, oh my goodness, there's creativity and innovation. So as we're, as we're moving out, I know many people will be going in person. And I certainly have seen this in my own work where the um, online learning provided opportunities that we didn't have in person. So how can leaders continue to support these growing strengths that you saw emerge during the pandemic? So whichever one of you wants to go first with that, please just go ahead. You can go ahead, Heidi. Okay. I just know that during the pandemic, we focused really heavily on healing, well-being and balance. And we need to keep that same energy around all three of those as we transition back into physical school buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and just understanding that for us, that social, emotional well-being and responsive ways of being and doing are foundational for learning. Like you cannot just jump back into academics without laying those foundations that prepare us for feeling safe and prepare us for connecting and learning. So and I was, you, can I just say something? You said something really important about feeling safe. Because if anything, during the pandemic, 
many children and adults did not feel safe. So could you elaborate just a little bit, and either one of you, Lindy, too, um, what do you think it is about sea learning that, that um, cultivated that growing sense of safety? Um, well, Heidi, I, I can't imagine I've stumped you too. <laughs> no, no, Heidi, I just, if she had a continuing thought with that since she mentioned it. One of the things that I always think about was the first time I, I went through C Learning and uh, they have one um, learning experience called, I think it's creating or cultivating the compassionate classroom. And where you ask each individual, each individual student, what makes them feel safe? or for us to feel loved, or even happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then having to take that in as the, the guide in that classroom, and you're using their own words to help cultivate that space. Mm-hmm. And that is, Elaine, as you know, a precursor to actually teaching resourcing. They do that in chapter one, and then in chapter two, we call it resourcing, and then we go further into it. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a great answer. I, I, was, I was thinking on the leadership question. That's why I wasn't prepared to answer that one. Um, I would add, you asked how can leaders um, continue to support these growing strengths? As, as Heidi said, you know, this focus on care for each other. And there's been a lot of talk coming from leadership about self-care and taking breaks and, you know, making sure you're taking care of yourself. And um, we, can't, we educators can't do that unless the, the systems and the schools that we're in are actually truly um, supporting that and, and making space for that to be a possibility. So we can't just like we can't take care, we can't really take care of ourselves without the support of the community. We as educators can't take care of ourselves without the support of our leadership and the systems that are in place in our school. So allowing times for breaks, um, having real time for um, contemplative practice, if that's something that works for you, or exercise or whatever, you know, you need should be built in, I think, and continue to be if possible. Well, and I think as you say that, um, I think it's really important because some people I've heard people say, oh, well, post-pandemic, I want it to go back to the way, you know, life as it was. But I think what I, and I, what I really am encouraging, and I think was what you both are saying, we can learn from, from what happened during the pandemic to make it better. And these, you know, I call them resiliency pauses, as you may know, that we have these times where we can, um, it's like pouring water on our well-being. And if we don't do that throughout the day, at the end of the day, we can be pretty depleted no matter what we're doing, right? And certainly, I think teaching is one of the most amazing jobs and certainly one that can bring you both, I imagine, at times like, oh, no, I don't know if I have the energy. So much has happened to the day, during the day. And I see you, you know, nodding, Heidi. Um, I would really love to continue talking more about this. And if you can, I, I really want to explore this. How can schools in this post-pandemic era in the States, what can they do specifically? Uh, Lindy mentioned some things, but I really like to get your take in it, Heidi, because there's one thing to have the idea, and then there's a second thing to implement it. And what I've loved about C-Learning, it's actually implemented the curriculum in all these different countries around the world by being flexible, adaptable um, in in. Uh, thinking about the culture of each school, and in the case of C-Learning, each country, which is quite a few now, right? So so we'll talk more about that after the break. So I want to just let, uh, let our Voice America listeners know that we are going to come back and, and have further conversation, and they're going to tell us even more things about what we need to attend to as we're creating what is very a very hopeful 
post-pandemic culture that can actually continue this innovation and creativity that you have both shared with us that happened in your school, Heidi, during the pandemic. So we will be back in a couple minutes where we will have more conversation with, um, with Lindy and Heidi about how we can create these new environments. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma informed and resiliency focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hello, this is Elaine again, and I'm here with Heidi and Lindy, and we're having a wonderful conversation Um, And I want to, when we get started, we were talking at the break about the meaning of, and please say the word correctly, because I'm going to mess it up. Could you say, Heidi, the name of the school? There's three schools, I understand, and they're charter schools. Could you say the name and tell us where it comes from? The Kendesi School, 
So on the website, our website says a Bantu word, which describes the act by which a community educates, loves, and values every child. But the translation that when I first came into the organization, I knew that is that in the womb, the child belongs to the mother and outside of the womb, the child belongs to the community in the world. I just, I love that. And so it's clear that you're cultivating this. And one of the ways that you're cultivating this and thinking about post-pandemic is how to support the teachers. So can you tell us a little bit more, Heidi? Um, Lindy gave us the idea, but how are you actually actually going to make this happen, that we come back in this post-pandemic era with more supports for the teachers? I was attending a session. The organization is called BEAM. Um, Black Emotional and Mental Health Organization. And they said something that is so simple that said, ask people, have you eaten today? Yeah. Have you hydrated today? Have you had a moment to take a break and breathe? So in one of my check-ins with the principal, it was just simply looking at their schedule for next year and saying, where in here do teachers have a break? Where in here are we being intentional about making sure that they've eaten, not like eating on the go <laughs> or while you're trying to teach kids. Or And I know that sounds like something that's so simple, but I think that is a great starting point for any organization is just looking at your schedule and saying, how are we helping to take care of our teachers and giving them time to take care of themselves? Um, and another part of that is thinking about community care. I know we've been hearing a lot about self-care, but to be honest, sometimes that's difficult for us to take care of ourselves. And I, we need to be checking in on each other. So our teachers have coaching sessions. So if you have coaching time with teachers, making that space for a portion that we call care, where I'm just checking in on you, how are you doing as a human being before we dive into data and what's happening in your classroom? You know, and the one other thing that I would say is helping people to connect with what does it feel like to feel well? Mm. We often spend a lot of time on, well, we know what unpleasant sensations we feel and how do we reset our nervous system? But what does wellness feel like in the skin that you are in? What does joy feel like in your body? Calm, peace, happiness. What does that feel like? So you can even not just know And what things are you doing that cultivate those feelings so that you can kind of return to that if you are having those moments? So those are just some some simple things that I think that don't take a whole lot. And last thing, I know I keep saying last thing, flexibility. Leaders, I often hear teachers saying, I'm scared somebody's going to come in my classroom while I'm comforting a student or I'm having a moment to have a circle so that we can address emotions in the room. And I don't want to get a bad mark on my observation. Mm. So leaders, please give teachers the space that they need to help create these compassionate classrooms in these spaces. Well, you were definitely talking my language, um, Heidi, because when you talk about sensations, you know, in the community resiliency model, which chapter two of C-Learning has integrated the concepts of, the sensory piece is so important because we've learned it's not only how you feel, but you've been talking about really the sensory system. Where does well-being land in your body? And um, I just recently had a conversation with Dr. Christina Bethel from John Hopkins, who's been one of the leading researchers about children and trauma. And she said, we have to help the children's body with well-being 
And how do we help the children's body? We can, by the teachers. If the teachers can cultivate and pour water on their sensory system of well-being, it expands what they can not only do for themselves, but for their community of children and parents and other teachers. Because we are all so interconnected and that relationship piece is so very important. So I am going to be very excited to hear what comes forth as you come out of the sheltering in space within your school district. So that brings me to the the next question. And what are some key aspects of cultivating and sustaining well-being? You've mentioned some and resiliency among communities. But before we get that, you know, resiliency can sometimes be a controversial word these days. And I am, you know, I tend to look at it as that cultivating the well-being inside and how we do that. Um, so I'm just wondering if each of you could just give me um, briefly your definition of what the, what does that mean to sustain well-being and resiliency? So I'll go ahead and talk to Lindy, ask Lindy that first, and I'll come back to you, Heidi. A definition of cultivating and sustaining well-being. Um, yes. You know, the English teacher in me is like a little panic, but you just have the <laughs> definition. But I, I will say that um, I think cultivating and sustaining well-being is about having is is knowing that that um, difficulties are ahead. That's part of life, um, and the the ability that having strategies that we practice and grow that we can then access um, when we do hit those challenges. I mean, I sound like I'm verbatim reading what we have as the definition of resiliency and C-learning, which is partially your definition, Elaine, but it's really become like, I mean, I really, that is really my definition now. And in doing this work, um, you know, over the course of the pandemic where I've been in my house, my husband and seeing just a few friends here and there um, really has sustained me during this difficult time um, and really being able to access the strategies and skills that I've learned from doing this work um, with C-Learning. And I think with community, amongst communities, Heidi and I've talked a lot about the key, and she probably will talk about this because we've talked about it a lot, but that the key, fa- one of the key factors of community resilience is self-awareness of who am I? How do I fit here? How, how am I affecting you? How are you affecting me? And what can we do together to increase our well-being? And so like having conversations about those things, whether it's just me and my household or my neighbors or my colleagues, um, being transparent and self-aware seems to be really important to that. Great. It's wonderful. Um, how about you, um, Heidi? What, what would you like to say about that? Well, when I think about the word cultivating, I automatically think about gardening and helping something to grow. And the way that we help something to grow is by continuing to learn and to practice. So that's, I think that's no different than any other thing with our wellness and our well-being. And not just learning things, but also continuing to learn ourselves. Um, and how, who I am today might be different tomorrow. So that's, and how I'm feeling today might be different than how I'm feeling tomorrow. And what works today might not work tomorrow. So there is always this learning of self um, and learning tools and strategies. And also know that we have within us tools that we already are using often, and don't see them as such, or that we've seen our grandmas or our mamas do, and we've done it. I don't know why I rock, maybe. But then I realize later, as I begin to learn the science, I'm like, okay, it's a form of grounding. So not just the tools that we read in books, but also thinking about 
what are some of our ancestral ways of being and doing that have been that passed down in families, grandmas, humming, all those things, um, and embrace them and use them to I love what you just said too. I, I thought a lot about rocking because I think many of my listeners know I've been around the world taking these resiliency skills, these skills of well-being. And when people tend to get into their kind of zone of well-being, many people start to rock. They sometimes rock back and forth or side to side. And I've seen it in every culture. And it's been at every religious background, every ethnicity. And I, I think I also think it's about when most cultures that I've seen, what do you do with a baby? Babies have immature little nervous systems, right? And we might hold the baby in our arms and we rock our baby. It's like we have a muscle memory template inside of our, our nervous system that we, we tap into it when we, we touch into that well-being. So to me, it's one of the great things about our humanity all over the world that, we, yes, there's differences to respect, but also interconnectedness mm-hmm. of our common humanity that I think that we have seen, haven't we, in C learning all over the world as we have all been consultants to this program and seen people, whether they're from Brazil or India or, or uh, oh goodness, parts of Asia. Um, where's the, the place that I always, oh, I, I will think of the country, but I mean, I just like, oh my gosh, there's people in that part of the country, the world bringing these, this, these uh, skills and these concepts of systems theory really into into children and, and networks that, that are cultivating it. And they have similar language all over the world. It just makes me so excited. So anyway, I just love the way you both describe that because I think the other thing I want to say is that with the word resiliency and well-being, it doesn't mean that we don't have a deep listen to our suffering mm-hmm. because out of our suffering grows oftentimes our ideas for well-being and saying, oh my gosh, yes, I can hold the suffering, but I can also hold those strengths that you mentioned, Heidi, that have been handed down ancestrally from our our grandparents, from our parents, then to us, and now that we hopefully can then transfer to our children. And to remember that that's something that's inside of us, which is so exciting to me to think about. So, okay, moving forward, I have more questions for you. So, this has to do with your kind of relationship. What is collaborating with each other meant for you in your journey with C learning facilitator and educator and person? So what's that knowing the two of you? What's that collaboration meant? Because that's part of cultivating teachers too, isn't it? Is those relationships that we have with each other. Um, <clears throat> it's meant a whole lot to me. Um, and that's not a very eloquent way of saying it, but that's the, the truth. Um, Heidi and I have, since um, our our um, training our trainings for 2020 just got tanked from by the pandemic, we made a point to speak to each other. I think every other week we have a call where we're thinking through things together about how to see learning, how could see learning work here at Kendesi in this way. Um, you know, what are the, what, what would work well? What are the pitfalls? How, you know, things like that, just sort of being thought partners about the material. Um, and in the process, I feel like we have become friends and we're becoming better friends as we do this work together. I've learned so much from Heidi about facilitating with responsiveness. I feel like I've always been a guide on the side kind of facilitator, but Heidi's even encouraged me to amp that up even more because that's how real learning happens. Um, and deep listening, I think this has also been a hell of a year for 
racial injustice in our country in particular. And um, this working across difference has been um, really um, meaningful to me. And I hope I've been a supportive friend um, throughout this time we've spent together. Wow. All right. So over to you, Heidi. I'm actually kind of tearing up. <laughs> well, you know, we notice tears here. We think tears are real good things. And, and you know, I have, a, there, I have a friend from one of the tribes in the Central Coast that called them sweet tears. <laughs> we hear those kinds of words. So are they sweet tears? They are sweet tears. Yes. And you ask that question. The first thing that came up, this comes from my leadership, the NPS questions like, do you have a friend at work? And... Yes to the content, but it means so much to have someone who I count as a friend embarking on this journey with me, where I really feel like our, our um, values and beliefs are aligned in this work. And that means so much. And because Lindy is the writer, it's so, like, that blows my mind sometimes. We <laughs> actually... Like as the creator of this curriculum, and I know you did it by yourself, Lindy, but you have such a huge um, thumbprint on this curriculum. And the fact that I get to ask her probing questions because I'm, as I'm exploring cultural responsiveness, there are certain phrases or stories that are found within the curriculum where I want to know what was the intention, what was the thinking behind this, because it might be interpreted in this way in our setting. And that helps me to understand sometimes the science and the culture of origin that it came from, and that helps me to better adapt it um, for the communities that I serve. And also this piece across difference is very, very, has been very key um, for me as well. Well, I think that, you know, we talk about post-pandemic, um, you know, well-being. I mean, you, you are living examples of that because I, I, I can see that you are both thinking about how you're going to be collaborating even more so after you are back into the school system again, seeing children and also with your fellow colleagues who are teachers. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I know that just for me, and, and I'm, not a, I'm not a teacher of, of children, but when just even meeting friends for the first time after not seeing them for a year, it's like been long, wonderful hugs and just feeling that sense of well-being from that connection. I imagine that's going to happen um, and I, and I wonder about what that's going to be like for the schools as they get back into play again, or, or is it going to be a little bit of trepidation? Can I really do this? Can I really hug this person? Oh my goodness, yes, because touch is such a big part of, of who we are on this planet, of how we connect um, with others. But I love this idea of, of this buddy system with other teachers and how important that will be as we come out of the pandemic and teachers get back into schools again. So is there anything more that either of you want to say about that? I have another question that I want to direct towards Heidi. I'm, I'm good. I think you can direct the question to Heidi. All right. I'm going to Heidi. Look at Heidi's <laughs> Heidi has a big smile on her face right now, our <laughs> listeners. So I think you can hear it in her laughter. So how does C-learning support liberation or liberatory practices can you and you know also it might be helpful what does that mean liberation i think that if you give us a context of what that is because but not everybody may know what that means to you i'm just gonna i'm gonna simplify and just say freedom and how am i giving 
or supporting our students, I, I don't think I can give you your freedom. How can I support you in realizing that you have freedom in having a choice-filled life? How can I support you in helping you to realize that you have the ability to free yourself to experience a choice-filled life? Because I can't give you your freedom. That's something that you give yourself. And I think the way that C-learning helps with that, and I'm going to start with self-awareness, is just the portion that we talked about earlier about being able, that body literacy, that's one component, Mm -hmm. being able to recognize the sensations and emotions that you're experiencing and feeling, and then you having the tools to be able to self-regulate. It helps you to respond instead of react. It creates that gap, that space, so that you can make decisions that lead to the desired outcome, your desired outcome that's good for you. So I think that's, that's one piece of it. Um, also, one thing that I, I always have practiced, the practices before teaching them to teaching teachers is just observing the mind is me being aware of my own thoughts, not just my feelings and sensations, but my thoughts. And even sometimes what are the messages that I'm saying to myself? And when I think about self-affirmation and self-celebration as a healing practice, if I'm not aware, then I can't, I can't make a different choice. I can't create a different narrative. Um, I will say that one piece that I think that C-learning is lacking is the component about cultural identity, that self-awareness piece. So because last year was the first year that we rolled it out, this year we'll be making changes and we'll be bringing in supplemental materials the first couple of weeks of school for students to explore who am I? What are my strengths? What are my passions? And what are some strengths and talents that I might not even know were deep inside of me? And we say, we, we can use a phrase at Kandesi called genius awakening, where our teachers help to cultivate that which you might not even know was inside of you. Um, so we're going to have to add that portion on because it's just not there. And also the systems thinking. In the curriculum, it's at the very end. We're going to bring it to the beginning this year with the who am I. And the systems thinking is so relevant with everything that's happening with current events. So what it helps you to really understand is that I'm not an island. I'm connected to a community and to a world that's bigger than myself And I have the ability to impact change in my own life, in my community, and in the world. Wow. Okay. Yeah, wow. That says it all, doesn't it? Go ahead, Lindy. I know we're wrapping up, but I just want to say what Heidi just mentioned in in her lovely short speech there was that she covered all so many of the topic content, uh, the content topics in the chapters of C-Learning, um, just as she was talking about positive self-talk, um, um, uh, strengthening our attention and our self-awareness, um, our body literacy and creating a compassionate environment, navigating our emotions. All of these are chapters in the curriculum. 
and the adding the identity work as well at the beginning is just beautiful because C learning is not an out of the box program there, which some, some places want an out of the box program and that's fine. And they can do what they would like. But if you are a place um, that is really prizes um, responsiveness to cultural context um, and you feel like this is a really great curriculum to use for those purposes, because you can bring in and supplement where you see the need to do that um, if you find something's not in C-learning that you would like there. Um, and I would just also say, we'll check out, Heidi, we need to talk about what you guys are going to do at the beginning of the year because we are working on the high school curriculum right now that we can perhaps weave that in a little bit differently um, when we publish that. And I just kind of want to add to what you both are saying is that there is more research being done about positive childhood experiences. Even if the children we're caring for have had a bucket full of adverse childhood experiences is those kinds of things that you're talking about, that strength base, which I've been such a believer in from my first, um, you know, delving into creating the community resiliency model is that we needed to spend more time with that. Mm-hmm. It's like watering that well-being and identifying what those strengths are and those historical strengths that get passed down to us as well, because they are so rich and that really can be so embracing in how we see ourselves as we walk through the world. So we just have a couple minutes left and I want you each to get the opportunity, right, to say one comment on what you want to leave our listeners to with right now. All right, Lindy? Oh, me first. One comment. <laughs> I feel, I don't know, I have so many more things I could say. I'm really enjoying thinking about um, the garden metaphor um, in terms of cultivating social, emotional, and ethical learning and, and building a more peaceful, just world when I think about my garden outside that I can see it's extremely resilient. It's pretty hard to, um, it's pretty hard to stop a plant from growing. Um, and just imagine what we can do if we are able to, you know, add the nutrients and add the water and, and yes. make it make, make the, make the environment better for, for those plants to grow. So um, that's what I'm thinking about right okay, now. Okay. And how about for you, Heidi? We got about a minute left. Um, there's good in every hood. Celebrate the journey. <laughs> Yes. And know that your healing and your wellness is inside of you. And so that couldn't be a better way to end our show today. And if people want to get a hold of, you can go to, um, can you give us the Emory information? And then I know you can connect people to, to Heidi quickly. Sure. What's the web, website? Sure. Um, you can find more about C-Learning at clearning.emory.edu. That's the website. And our email address is clearning at emory.edu. And we're on social media as well. You can search us, C-Learning. And so, and remember as we're ending today, that what else is true, that resiliency within that both of our guests have talked about and cultivate and are spreading throughout the world. And I want to do a deep bow to both of you and thank you for your wisdom and bringing it to me and to our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within.
with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com.